Hello, my name is Ben Jenkins. Welcome back to another episode of the ACN podcast, the official podcast, the Australian College of Nursing. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Sky Coot. Sky is a stroke nurse practitioner and is the nursing coordinator for the mobile stroke unit based out of the Royal Melbourne Hospital. In this episode, we'll learn about the role of a stroke nurse practitioner along with that of the mobile stroke unit. Sky, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. No, thank you so much for being on. So, Sky, I'd like to start the episode by exploring more about your role as a stroke nurse practitioner. My understanding is that you have over 20 years experience working within critical care areas. Uh, we spent a lot of that time working as a stroke CNC. Once you had completed your master's and you became a stroke nurse prac, how did your role evolve? And secondary question is what does it involve within the hospital setting? Uh, so good question. And saying I have over 20 years experience makes me feel really old because <laughs> I'm sure that the 90s was only 10 years ago. Um, so I actually took an extremely convoluted path to become a nurse practitioner. Um, and I guess that that's a good thing to actually tell your listeners is that um, one of the benefits of nursing is there's many, many ways to do what you want to do. And just because one pathway gets blocked, don't give up in following your dreams. So I, um, I started in, um, well, after I did my graduate, I started in emergency and moved into um, a grad dip in critical care, which then saw me work in ICU. And then I fell literally into the world of stroke, which uh, was not originally my plan, and then, uh, but loved it. Um, and my boss was very, very supportive, uh, my medical director of um, having a stroke nurse practitioner. He really valued the role of the nurse in the acute stroke forum, which is um, phenomenal. There's, you know, to this day, there's often still not a lot of support um, from medical staff for nurses, um, but he absolutely saw the need. So he kept at me basically every, from the minute I got there, why don't you look at doing your nurse practitioner? And at that stage, I was a mum with two kids in kinder and went, don't be ridiculous. I haven't got time to go back to uni and do my master's. Uh, but he wore me down, basically. Um, so I then, at the time I decided to start my master's, uh, my medical director left and I had a different medical director and the hospital um, was not supportive of me doing my nurse practitioner because uh, they didn't want me to undertake the educational component until they actually had a role available for me to step into. Um, but when I kept asking, well, how long was that going to be? It kept getting longer and longer. So I finally bit the bullet and went, well, I'm going to do the university part of it anyway. Uh, so I was lucky enough to only do a two-year master's because my, my grad dip gave me a um, year of recognition of prior learning, which was great. Um, so I then sat as a um, essentially a qualified but non-endorsed nurse practitioner for a couple of years and then finally um, followed pathway B for nurse practitioner endorsement through the board. So pathway A is where you do your master of nurse practitioner. So it's through an accredited uh, university placement and the um, ANMAC, the actual governing body around the subjects has approved the subject. So um, you come out of it and it's recognized that you have done the standard of a nurse practitioner. Pathway B is where you basically make up your own subjects um, and from a generic sort of master of nursing and you need to then prove to the board that it's of the equivalent standard. So pathway B is a harder pathway to do because you have to map everything yourself, but um, it was the right path for me. Um, so I went and did that. And so I became endorsed in 2018 
And then I only got employed as a nurse practitioner uh, late last year. So I'm actually still a newbie, even though I got my master's in 2014. <laughs> so oh. very, very long convoluted path. <laughs> so in terms of what that means, um, I my role is more on the mobile stroke unit, which we'll talk about in a minute. But for a stroke nurse practitioner in a hospital, it um, allows them to take um, a really good lead in the code stroke process. Um, the expert skills, um, clinical assessment, diagnostics um, are really great for when patients first come in with the ambulance, you know, making that decision as to whether this is somebody we're going to take straight to CT or they need a medical workup first. Um, and then, in fact, doing that neurological assessment yourself, doing that workup, um, interpreting CT scans, depending on what your individual scope of practice is in the hospital. Um, ultimately, in um, Australia, it remains a medico-legal um, decision to actually read the scans and make a um, thrombolysis decision for ischemic stroke. But in a lot of places, the nurses are expected to still read the scans on their own and have it confirmed by their um, supporting medical staff. Um, a lot of nurses then do um, ward rounds. So they will take the lead on ward rounds and you know, do the prescribing rounds of meds and make sure that secondary prevention, which is such an important part of a stroke patient's recovery and long-term reduction of, um, of recurrent strokes, um, so they will take the lead in that. And then a lot of them then follow patients through to clinic, which is a really great continuum of care that they then get to actually see them three months post-stroke, uh, make sure their education is up to scratch because obviously in hospital, they're not paying attention to a lot of what we're saying. Um, this is a massive, massive, massive change in their lives. So ensuring that they um, understand secondary prevention, that they've taken on the lifestyle changes. Um, so in acute stroke for a nurse practitioner, it really can, can run that gamut from ED through to outpatient. And it's, it all depends on your hospital and your scope, but it's a really lovely role um, compared to say some of the other nurse practitioners in different specialties that may have a very niched role mm -hmm. and they only see you know one type of thing. So you may have a dialysis nurse practitioner or a fast track nurse practitioner that does you know set things. Mm -hmm. This is a really broad scope, which is fantastic. What an exciting career. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so you have then transitioned in February of 2017 and you undertook the role of the nursing coordinator for the mobile stroke unit, as you were mentioning before, which is based out of the Royal Melbourne Hospital. For those listening who have not heard of that service before, what is the role of the mobile stroke unit and what clinicians make up their team? So the mobile stroke unit, unfortunately, has the acronym of MSU, which is absolutely dreadful and all the nurses hated it, but uh, it still got chosen. Um, so the MSU is just an incredible project. And um, there's it's a specialised custom-built ambulance that's been fitted out with a portable CT scanner. And then as well as normal ambulance paramedics, you have a crew of multidisciplinary staff experts, radiographer, neurologist, and stroke nurse. And the whole purpose of MSUs is to when somebody calls for an ambulance to say, I think somebody's having a stroke, um, they get a normal ambulance and they also get us. So we are seeing patients firsthand, hopefully minutes after the stroke started, uh, we can do their brain scan immediately in the back because we can't treat a patient without having that scan. Clinically, we can assess a patient and say whether we think they're a, a um, stroke or not. 
but we need the CT scan to differentiate hemorrhagic stroke versus ischemic stroke because the treatment obviously is completely opposite. You obviously wouldn't want to give thrombolysis to somebody having a hemorrhagic stroke because they're going to bleed throughout their brain and, and probably die. So we have to have that test. So we pull up, we do that in their driveway, um, and then we can start treatment immediately or before they go to hospital. So MSU started uh, about 2008, and there are quite a number of them in Europe and across America. And uh, professors Steve Davis and Jeff Donnan um, here at the Royal Melbourne had the vision of having one in Australia. And um, thanks to a number of partner organisations and uh, amazing philanthropic donors, we got um, enough money to put one together. So yes, it went operational at the end of 2017, so about three and a half years in now. And uh, it just, it's an incredible, incredible experience to actually see patients at their most vulnerable, at their most scared, quite frankly, and to be able to help them through what is one of the most traumatic experiences of their lives and to provide world first care to them and their families is, it sounds corny, but it's actually a privilege. So in terms of roles, um, the paramedics obviously are in charge of scene. You know, they are the experts in managing the patient's environment, patient movement, et cetera, the neurologist and the nurse. Um, and this is where the nurse practitioner role comes into it. Um, we're interchangeable when it comes to things like the assessment um, and making differential diagnoses. Um, the radiographer is obviously in charge of doing all the scans. We can do a non-contrast CT scan and then a contrast um, CT, um, CT angiogram of the circle of Willis to see if they've got clots somewhere. Um, the doctor then reviews those scans, um, orders a TPA. The nurse practitioner is allowed to order other medications um, depending on, again, scope. And then together, you know, we're all working as a team, five of us to, to give this patient um, this care and then take them to hospital. So we're saving on average about 40 minutes in um, thrombolysis time, which is about three years worth of ageing and normal ageing to the brain. So amazing outcomes. And it's been quite a lot of literature uh, published of late as well, which is all showing mm. just how incredible this service is. And it's such a, an expanding field with the, the latest announcement of uh, the possibility now of going into aeromedical uh, space with, with retrofitting a, a CT in the scanner of the back of a helicopter. So absolutely, it's, Very uh, it's only, only advancing further and further. Now absolutely. for the benefit of the audience listening today, I've spoken with Sky to put together a type of clinical scenario. So obviously Sky is the clinical expert here. So I've asked a lot of heavy lifting from Sky to, to sort of detail exactly what happens on scene, what happens from the time that there's a notification through the scene and then obviously onto that decision being made. So Sky, I'll pass it across to you. Okay, everybody's going to be sick of the sound of my voice. Um, all right, so we all carry um, radios and pages like normal ambulance. And um, as I said before, we're always dual dispatched. So we are a secondary vehicle. So if somebody calls triple O, um, the call takers go through a script. If they diagnose that as stroke, um, if it's within 20 kilometres of the Royal Melbourne Hospital, that's our primary catchment area, um, a normal ambulance will get sent and we get um, automatically dispatched to those patients as well. We can travel anywhere within Metro Melbourne though because we can respond to crew requests. So if a crew gets to someone that we weren't originally sent to and recognise a stroke, we can go anywhere. 
So we are usually sitting around in the hospital. We're based at the Royal Melbourne. So I'm usually at my desk doing paperwork. It's very fun. And uh, we the cell call goes off the radio and we jump up and um, we have a 90 second uh, KPI to actually be wheels rolling in the oh, ambulance. Wow. And that's set by Ambulance Victoria for all their ambulances. So it's literally a, a, a stampede of people down and around the stairs out to the MSU. So we have set seats. We did a lot of workshopping when this started to actually work out literally the most um, economical workflow processes because there's not a lot of room. So we don't want to be tripping over people. So we all take our assigned seats and the nurse sits next to a intercom because we have um, the two paramedics right up front. And then the three Royal Melbourne Hospital staff are in essentially a box on the back. So we don't have uh, direct line of sight to the paramedics. So it's all internal radio. So as we drive out, they'll start giving the nurse um, clinical details. And it this is all coming from their what's called MDT, their mobile data terminal. And it's all based on what the person who's taken the call types in. So sometimes it can be great information, but more often than not, when we first start, we literally may only have an age and, you know, 86-year-old female query stroke. And that might be all we have to go off. Um, we document, you know, all our response times and things like that so we can make sure that we're not taking too long. And as we go, we hopefully get more information. Um, hopefully the call taker um, stays on the phone with the person making the call and can get a bit more information. Um, otherwise, what we like is to, if we are almost always second on scene because there's one of us and we're potentially travelling 20 kilometres, whereas there's a lot more ambulances on the road. So normally a normal ambulance will beat us to the patient. And we just rely so heavily on those paramedics for their expert assessment skills to then get on the radio and say to us either it's not stroke, so you can stand down, which is great if we don't need to go, um, or yes, it is, and this is what the patient's looking like. So to give you an idea, we had a patient um, a number of years ago now who was outside our catchment area. So um, the first crew got there and called for us. And uh, it was a lovely gentleman in his 80s. Um, and he was um, fixing the carpet under the bathroom sink and he had his stroke and he banged on the wall until his wife heard him. So she immediately recognised the signs, which was great. Called Triple O. Ambulance got there, recognised the fact that he was having a stroke and called us. So we've arrived literally as they are, they've got him on the stretcher and they're wheeling him out of his house. So we're essentially like a caravan in the sense that we are unstable because we're a box on wheels. So when we get there, we pop down stabilising jacks, um, swing open the back doors, take our stretcher out, and the other paramedic crew literally wheeled our patient into the MSU for us. They had given us such a good handover en route that we already knew what we were dealing with and we knew we wanted to scan this patient. So if we don't have that sort of information, we have to stop initially and actually do an assessment, do a stroke assessment, get the story and figure out, um, is this a patient who we're going to scan? If it's somebody that we wouldn't treat for a variety of reasons, they're outside treatment time or they've got a contraindication to treatment, then we don't always scan because we're then holding the other crew up on scene. So if it's in the patient's best interest just to get going, that's what we let them do. But in this patient's case, we wheeled him in. So while the scan was going on, I'm off talking to his wife. So 
we already knew that this was a potential thrombolysis candidate and there's a number of um, risk um, factors associated with giving thrombolysis. So part of the nurse's role is to pre-screen essentially um, all the patient's medical history. So I was chatting to his wife, finding out what his premorbid level of function is normally like. Um, clarifying onset time was exactly when we thought it was, because obviously we can't thrombolize him outside the four and a half hours. Um, making sure that he had no extra risk factors, so no recent car accidents or falls or surgery or cancers or anything that would put him at increased risk of bleeding. By the time I've got all of that information, the scan's done. So I come back to the doctor. He tells me what he's seen on the clinical assessment because at this point I've barely even seen the patient myself. Um, I tell him everything I've found out. He jumps on and looks at the scans, saw that um, it was definitely an ischemic stroke. So um, we actually enrolled this patient into a clinical trial um, that was looking at the use of TPA versus tenecteplase. TPA is what we standardly use for ischemic stroke. Tenecteplase is used very heavily in STEMIs for cardiac um, uh, heart attacks. So they're doing trials to see maybe that might be a better drug for stroke. So we enrolled this lovely chap into this trial. Um, our doctor identified that he, the patient had a, what's called a large vessel occlusion, meaning the, the clot in his brain was actually in one of the very, very large arteries. Um, which means that a much bigger area of brain is going to be damaged. Um, these clots are usually very poorly responsive to the drug because it's just too big. It's just too hard to dissolve. Um, and so usually these outcomes for these patients is devastating. They're often nursing home level events. You know, the patient never gets home. They're looking at permanent care with permanent disability. Um, so the doctor identified that he had this large vessel occlusion and this patient's closest hospital didn't do clot retrieval. So we rang the Royal Melbourne, which was the next closest hospital, and found out that their cath lab was free and available. So packed him up. We gave him the um, drug en route and took him straight into the Royal Melbourne. Um, he had um, another scan on arrival just to make sure that nothing had changed, and then straight up to the cath lab. And... He wheeled out of the cath lab an hour later, high-fiving his family, and he had been completely paralysed prior, and he went home three days later. Oh. So it's just, but it only works with everybody pulling together. And I think that's one of the biggest, biggest um, benefits of the mobile stroke unit is we all know the role that everybody else does, and we just look at what each other's doing and know what needs to be done. So we had another case only a couple of weeks ago um, where we already knew that this lady had had recent surgery and we really needed to find out those details because that potentially um, meant she couldn't be thrombolized. So the doctor actually needed to, he wanted to ring and actually find out those details for himself because if he's ordering the thrombolysis, he wanted to be um, certain that he had the right information. So for this lady, I've done all the assessment. I've ordered the CT scan. He's found out all the past history. But, you know, I can see as soon as we got off the truck that, you know, that's what he went, he needed to do. So he doesn't even need to tell me what to do. I know that, you know, this is in my role. The paramedics that work with us tend to work with us a lot. So they become so upskilled in stroke. So they can preempt. Um, they will look at somebody who's hypertensive and know that we're going to need to treat that blood pressure. So they're already drawing up 
antihypertensives, um, they know that this is likely to be a large vessel occlusion. So which hospital are we going to go to? So everybody just knows what to do and the team works so smoothly through the, the education and the respect and the level of competence and knowledge of every single one of those team members. We just couldn't do it without all of us. It's, it's so incredible to be a part of. What a special job that you have. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for going through all of that. It's much appreciated. No this worries. is uh, it's, it's amazing to hear that this, hopefully this is expanding. We're obviously a service that saves lives and is saving uh, quality of life for, for your mm -hmm. patients as well. So it must be so rewarding to be there on the scene as that nurse uh, mm -hmm. with this specialized, highly specialized and highly skilled team to, to be helping, helping Australians and Victorians that way. So absolutely. And we've actually had, um, so not only have we just announced the $40 million grant that will hopefully expand MSU services. And, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of people think that because this is based in Melbourne, MSUs are only relevant to Melbourne, but this grant will change pre-hospital stroke care across Australia. This is a national grant. It's not a Melbourne-based grant. Um, but incredibly, for fantastic timing, we've actually just heard from two international colleagues, one last week and one a couple of months ago, that they were doing um, a actual randomised control trial of comparing patients seen by the MSU to matched patients not seen by the MSU. And we've always known that MSUs save time and historical evidence tells us that time saving means brain saving. But these two trials have been able to prove that MSUs significantly reduce um, long-term disability for patients, which is absolutely enormous. So um, they also have been able to prove cost-effectiveness uh, so in the US, they've worked out um, now, obviously, they've got a different model of billing, but, you know, they are super expensive, um, that they only need to basically save five stroke patients a year with an MSU and, it's, and it pays for itself. Um, and for every um, 100 patients treated for an MSU, 11 more will be disability free at the end um, of three months, which compared to hospital treatment. So to have those results come out at the same time as we want to push to expand stroke units throughout Australia is absolutely incredible. So watch this space. Pre-hospital stroke care is changing. So Sky, if we have anyone listening to this episode now that is inspired and wants to follow your uh, career trajectory and what you've done, how would you recommend and what would you recommend in terms of getting to where you are right now? Um, so definitely look at doing nurse practitioner. Um, definitely look at higher degrees, masters, etc. Um, join ASNEN. So ASNEN is the Acute Stroke Nurses Education Network, and we have a website which is www.asnen.org. I'm co-chair of that with Elizabeth O'Brien, who's a stroke nurse practitioner at Royal North Shore in New South Wales. Um, we are a free organisation of 900 members um, who we're dedicated to improving stroke outcomes for our patients through improving nurse education. And we run lots of free webinars. We run conference presentations. We offer scholarships. We do all sorts of things. Um, and so you can get a lot of information um, through there. Um, we can point you, if you ever have questions, you can get in touch with us through that. And we can point you in the direction of um, courses that are good to do. There's some great courses out of the US called NetSmart, um, which is run by nursing professor Anne Alexandrov. So I've done two of her courses um, one of which um, at the end of it, it's about a, um, it's called NetSmart Advanced Practice and it's um, about one to two years worth of work. 
Um, it's designed for people looking sort of at that master's level, nurse consultant sort of level. So you've come up from the wards, um, looked after your stroke patients, you're now moving into a management role, which is what I did. Um, so I've done these specialised stroke courses, which drastically improved my knowledge. And the most exciting thing is at the end, you go and do a overseas placement at somebody else's hospital, which it's great to experience, you know, how the other half live. So definitely look at education, lots of stroke courses. Um, sadly, a lot of master's subjects um, don't cover stroke. They're general masters of nursing. So any stroke subjects you can. And um, yeah, just work your way up um, to CNC level and then jump into nurse practitioner. And you can always give me a call as we expand uh, MSUs. There'll be ads, I'm sure, flying around Australia. So come on board. Sky, Sky Thank you very much for your time today being on the ACN podcast. You're very welcome.